to the February 2011 podcast of Ordinary Means. Find us on the web at OrdinaryMeans.com. I'm your host, Sean Nolan, here with Matt Bowling. Hey, Sean. Well, hi, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good. Now we're on the air. Matt and I have actually been talking off the air for, I don't know, the last hour about random things. Um, but it's time to talk about the podcast. Uh, this is the third month we've been talking about the subject we're going to talk about this month, and that is the big question of, is gospel-centered a good thing? Now, we're posing that question in the... I, I don't know, is that question posed in the negative? Uh, it's, it's, it's questioning the authenticity questioning. Yes. of gospel-centered. And, and the reason... Those two previous months, so you know all the caveats that we've said before, because we're generally enthusiastic about the topic, but we do see some dangers. So you should go back and listen to the previous two months so you kind of have some context for what we're going to talk about today. Something we've been saying from the very beginning of doing this podcast, and, and I think we've been doing this for... This is our fourth year. It might be. I think this is our fourth year. We um, have said that we are very much against uh, fads. You, you really want to watch out for fads. Usually what fads are um, are something that is uh, that has a, a single bit of truth that somebody has hopped onto, and usually that truth is in comparison to what's been taught before. Uh, somebody has seen an error. So, for example, I'll give you – I think a good example of this is the um, – is Promise Keepers. I think Promise Keepers was a great example because Promise Keepers was something where it said, you know, we're really – we're seeing a lot of lazy guys <laughs> and um, the church isn't doing anything about it. And so let's start a parachurch ministry where we're making guys that are keeping their vows to their wife. What You know, what? who could argue with that? And yet, at the end of the day, it was it was a fad. It was a movement, mm-hmm. and it served its purpose. And I, I my understanding is that the uh, the fellow who was in charge of it got into some trouble, and um, and now it's uh, I don't even know if there is a promise keepers anymore. There there may be, not not that I'm aware of, not that I'm hearing about regularly. Um, so you always want to be cautious of fads. You want to find the truth in them, and you want to support that truth. Um, just like Matt and I have talked about some of the benefits of postmodernism, you know, that there's a word that has a lot of negative connotations to it. And yet postmoderns are very much concerned with authenticity. And, well, and it so, creates new opportunities. Yeah. So well. it's a good thing. So is postmodernism as a whole a good thing? No, but there's, there's truth in there. So we always want to be watching. So is gospel centered a good thing? Well, sure. If you're gospel centered in the right way, um, if, if if you're gospel centered uh, like the Apostle Paul was, yes, I preach Christ and Him crucified, and and nothing else. Now, we ended. I, I think last month we we talked a little bit about Luther, and I I wanted to start out with a quote from Luther because this gets into our questions. You'll remember we began last month going through a list of. Ten questions uh, that we hope to get more through today. I'm not. I don't know if we're going to finish this today. Um, we got through about question three of the ten questions, asking how gospel centered we really are. 
And yeah, I think we did get to four, which was about repentance. Well, so is repentance a part of your gospel? Is repentance. Okay, so the, just as a reminder, the first one was, is hell a part of your gospel? Is, does, is the gospel you preach a gospel that saves from hell? And so therefore, does it, is, it a, uh, is there a, a preaching about hell? Uh, are you hearing that from the pulpit if you're a pastor? Are you preaching that from the pulpit? Because without that, your gospel is, is going to be um, is going to be lopsided. In fact, this is the Luther quote that I believe we read last month, but it's worth reading again. Uh, Luther says, "It follows that if we preach the forgiveness of sins without repentance, that people imagine that they have already obtained the forgiveness of sins." becoming thereby secure and without compunction of conscience. Mm. And, mm. and he goes on to say this is, this is a, a greatest of errors that prevails. And it, it really is, and I've seen that in churches that focus on the gospel, even in my own ministry where for a period of time I might be focusing on the, the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God, and you'll see people uh, in your churches or people you know that you always, um, they don't show a lot of fruit of repentance in their life. They don't show a lot of fruit of the gospel in their life. Maybe they're the type of people who just show up to church on a Sunday, and yet they seem perfectly content with that. That, I think, is a sign of only half of a gospel. When the people who are your... When the people in your church aren't being challenged to think about their own belief to take seriously their own doubts um, about their faith. Mm-hmm. Th- that's the t- when, they're, when they're perfectly comfortable just showing up to church, could it be that they're perfectly comfortable because you're not preaching repentance the way the Bible preaches repentance? And that was our, our, our fourth question. So our first question was, is hell part of your gospel? Our second was, is sin part of your gospel? Obviously, Hell is reserved for those who refuse to repent of their sin. Uh, the third was, is the law a part of your gospel? That is, are we using the, the law for its purpose to push us to Christ, to convict us of sin? And then fourthly, is repentance a part of our gospel? Now that we see sin, are we repenting of it? Um, I'm reminded, Matt, both you and I worked for Campus Crusade way back when. Mm-hmm. And we can say way back when now. It was back when we used to go to school um, uphill both ways in the snow in our, yeah. under, in our underwear. Um, but uh, So we can say that now. But way back when we uh, were in Campus Crusade, I, that, this was one of the big deals, was the four spiritual laws that started with the love of God mm-hmm. and never really hammered home uh, the wrath of God, sin, the law, repentance. And um, at one point, Campus Crusade went through a period where they said, you know what, we're getting a lot of people who are praying this prayer at the end of the four spiritual laws, but we're not seeing a lot of fruit of that. People aren't going and joining churches. And so they came up with, Campus Crusade's answer was to come up with what uh, you and I lovingly call the birdie booklet. Remember the birdie booklet? Oh, little, yes. little blue book with a picture of the Holy Spirit as a dove on the front. And, you know, that was the booklet that asked, is Christ on the throne of your life? And so their, their 
tactic was to say, um, if you've received Christ, but you're not living and seeing fruit in your life, maybe it's because you've, re- you've made him uh, Savior, but not Lord. And so you need to make him Lord. You need to make him king. You need to put him on the throne of your life. Well, now I think we would say that was the wrong tack. The right tack would have been just to go back and revise the four spiritual laws and say, let's start with man has fallen. Right. And then the love of God makes sense. But when you yeah. start with the love, you end up with people saying, well, if God already loves me, why do I need to change? Right. And, and of course, Jesus and Paul's ministry never started with the love of God. They started with the command to repent and believe. Yeah. Uh, I read a great quote, uh, a guy that we went to seminary with, Sam Choi, as a minister out here um, at one of the Mars Hill sites. And he had a quote on here from Jerry Bridges yesterday on Facebook that I thought was really good. He says, uh, this is Bridges, the gospel is meaningful for us only to the extent that we realize and acknowledge that we are still sinful. Mm. That. Yeah. That my uh, that the gospel is meaningful to to me today if I have a repentance and faith lifestyle. Uh, Spurgeon was famous for saying on this matter of repentance that um, that repentance and faith is not the act of an instant, but the acquisition of a lifestyle. And that's really what we're saying: is that repentance is a part of that ongoing lifestyle. It's not just something you did once. And, of course, the problem with crusade and a lot of uh, things that tend towards easy believism is, I like to say, the R word is missing. It's just a trust Jesus kind of message, not the not the R word, not repent and believe, which is the consistent gospel that you get all through the New Testament in the preaching. It's both. It's turn from idols to the living God. Um, and if people don't sense that idolatry in their own hearts and not turning from it, then... Like the Luther quote, yeah, maybe they don't have the forgiveness of sins. Hmm. Well, you know where else it's missing? Where the R word is missing? Where? Is in the hymnody of the church. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm talking to you, Keith Getty, if you're listening to this. <laughs> you need to... Well, even you, Trinity, what? There's like three hymns of repentance in the Trinity hymnal? Maybe that. If you look in the back in their index... Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure the word repentance is in the back. I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll check that. But it's there's very few. Very few. And and yet there's, it, it isn't that there aren't hymns that talk about our sin, but this mm-hmm. idea of repentance as a lifestyle, this, this idea of every day I repent and believe, every day I'm giving of, over some new part of my selfishness, mm-hmm. um, it's missing. It's yeah. missing. So, Keith... If you're listening, uh, get get on the ball, buddy. Um, give us some good repentance. Give us some now good repentance hymns. Sovereign, Sovereign Grace has got some good repentance songs, though. There's there are Sovereign Grace has a lot of songs that talk about. Um, I can't believe God, you did this for me when I was such a sinner. Mm-hmm. Um. But the the hymns of or the songs that say, "I'm gonna I'm gonna change because of what the gospel has done," mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna press forward even though I know I won't be perfect in this life. That's my standard. I'm gonna live in this life as if I was already living in heaven. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know that sort of we're miss we're missing that. Yeah. Not quite um. The same. So um.
Fifth question. Is grace so common it's assumed? Hmm. In the gospel-centered churches. In the in the gospel-centered churches. And this goes to, and I may have mentioned this in the last podcast, um, Don Carson was doing an interview. Uh, it was about a 45-hour-long interview. It's available online. If I can find the link, I'll, I'll put it up there. But in the interview, he was asked about the social gospel, uh, which is the, the gospel that predominates in mainline churches. It's a, it's a gospel that says, uh, we care for the poor, but we never have to tell them about Jesus. And uh, Carson made the point, and I thought that this was a very good point. He said, if he'd learned one thing over the years, it was that his students didn't learn what he taught them. They learned what he was excited about. And he, he said the same thing was true of the social gospel, in that at some point in the church's recent history, people were so excited about doing mercy ministry. And see, this is why this is an issue today, because we're having a, a resurgence of interest in, mer- in mercy ministry. Right. Appropriate, we would probably uh, say. Appropriately, even. because we, yeah. we've been lacking. <laughs> yeah, Jesus was powerful in word and deed. That's in what word and described deed. on the road to Emmaus. And... Uh, but the, e- the easy thing to do is to listen to somebody like Carson or like uh, a Tim Keller, who is mm-hmm. very, very much pushing generous justice. Mm-hmm. And um, what Carson says is, is you, hear, you hear what the teacher's excited about. So it, it may be that many of these teachers were, exci- were teaching the gospel, but they were excited about mercy ministry. And so that's what, and so that that's was the, uh, that was the syllable the emphasis was on exactly. And so that's what carried on. So it was a matter of just a couple generations, and the gospel was no more mm. lost. Um, I had written as when Sean and I prepare for this a little bit, we bounce back and forth some things. I had written next to this point that the first generation gets the gospel, the second generation assumes the gospel, the third generation loses the gospel. Hmm. Hmm. So th- there's yeah, a sense was probably a second generation who assumed it and assumed his students would just have the same assumptions that he does. That's very that's very possible. Yeah. Um and because hopefully we're in multi-generational churches, there is a sense in which our preaching has to address all three. Mm-hmm. Those who those who what what were your three? Those who know the gospel, those who assume it and those who Exactly. have lost yep. it. Did yep. I I got the three. Okay. Right. Um, but it's, it, is grace so common? I mean, do we just assume grace? Um, do we, do we focus on the deeds that we're to do or the programs of our church? You know, we, we know the routine of our church and each week we faithfully go through the routine, routine of our church without ever mentioning faith. Hmm. Um, we want both. We want the gospel resulting in, in powerful fruit. Absolutely. Um, but it won't get there, just as it won't get there without mention of sin and wrath and repentance, it also isn't going to get there if you're on the other side and, and grace is just, you assume everybody believes in grace. 
you assume everybody knows what that is and 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 what the ordinary means are and that because everybody is participating in them um there's a there's a movement within the church today to get back to or to reclaim weekly communion mm-hmm. and you know what's one of the concerns well one of the concerns that always gets raised is well then it's going to become rote and you're absolutely right i i mean anybody who has uh said that to me our church has, has gone to weekly communion and I has said, you know, well, what if it goes rote? And I said, well, that's not the fault of communion. That's our fault. Right. And it's the same. The same thing could be said for sermons. You know, for how many people is reading is, the scriptures? Yeah, right. Reading well, the scriptures, praying, yeah. uh, reciting the Apostles' Creed, any no, singing. You know, how many of us sing those same songs again and again, and we're not paying attention to the words because we've heard the words a million times. Yeah, we're disengaged, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it is it is a big part of that. It's just being engaged. Um, going right along with this is, is question number six, which is, um, is sanctification so uncommon that it is assumed? Um, so maybe this one needs a little bit of explanation. Um, if we as a church, are sticking to the cross, clinging to the cross. All of our songs are about the cross and having a cross-centered life. And the preaching is about how we've got to go back to the cross and everything we do is about the cross and we're centered on the cross and we're cross-centered. What happens to sanctification in that context? When the gospel is being pushed... Now, we know, if, if we've read our Bible, we know that... Because James tells us, you know, faith without works is dead, that their sanctification is that natural outflow of believing the gospel. Mm-hmm. But um, is that actually what we're seeing? Is that the the fruit that's being born? Yeah. 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 I'll give you an example. I was talking with a fellow recently, uh, and we were talking about um, our prayer lives mm-hmm. and the need for our prayer lives to be strengthened, that prayer is not what it should be in the, in the evangelical church today. Mm-hmm. And, and this individual to whom I was talking to, I was trying to encourage them just to step out and just start praying. Just, you know, take, make a disciplined effort every day, no matter how much it hurts, to just spend time in prayer. And this individual came back to me with, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be a sinner. I'm, I'm always going to need the cross. And it, it almost, the gospel almost became an excuse for not pursuing sanctification. You know, and I think that this is, it's a great issue to raise, on because I think that this is a typical scenario um, where I think that the apple doesn't, or the apple falls too far from the tree in that um, some of the, some of uh, even friends that, that I've got in the PCA who were trained Sorry, it's just the truth. We're trained at our denominational seminary where this uh, gospel-centered is, is well-taught, uh, the best that I can tell. But sometimes the student walks away with only a part of what the teacher has said, like we mentioned earlier. Yeah. And sometimes you end up in a spot where somebody's much more concerned about um, how people uh, always feel guilty. And so they very much want to emphasize grace, not what should the fruit that's keeping with repentance look like 
So, for example, I, I had a graduate of our, our seminary, who's uh, our denominational seminary, who's a friend. And uh, we we're talking about the relationship of justification and sanctification, of how we're counted as righteous because of the righteousness of Christ before God, our sins are forgiven. And that flows into, because we've got changed hearts, doing, following God's commands that we want to. We show our love, John 15, by keeping his commands. Um, and I was talking about this with my friend, and the way that I've put this together and taught it for years is that the law drives me to Christ, right, Galatians? The law drives me to Christ um, so that I'll trust in him. And then Christ says, go back to the law to see how your life should be formed. Now, I noticed that that's not a nice, strong law gospel distinction that will annoy some people. But, um, but I think that the, the point of John 15 is that the commands of God are loving. They're blessing. They're the best that life can be lived. So where do we send people except back to the commands to form their love? So Christ sends us to the law sends us to Christ and Christ sends us back to the law. And my friend who had been trained kind of in this gospel, you know, this gospel centered scenario, um, I, I think I'm not sure he got the message because I don't think I know his professor and his professor wouldn't have put it this way. Um, he's like, no, I'm really, really uncomfortable with that. Hmm. He says, you know, I think people realize how much they fall down and that they're not meeting God's standards. And um, I, I think that. Our catechisms are wiser than some of our modern proponents because that's why our Reformed catechisms spend the last half talking about the commands. That guilt that we have because of the fall and original sin that results in us having actual sin, so we have actual guilt before God, that we are the objects of this grace that's in the face of our sin, which is stunning. Um, and then what that issues forth in is an emotion, a thankfulness, gratitude that needs to be formed into good works that were created beforehand for us, obedience and service and mission. Um, and so our catechisms are extraordinarily clear on how this thing fits together, but sometimes our friends sadly are not. When David says, oh, how I love thy law, mm -hmm. it's a statement about holiness. Right. It's a statement about because I know the grace of God, I, I desire the things that God desires. I desire to live the way I, I desire to know God more and to live the way that he lives to be holy as my heavenly father is holy. And, and so it like you're saying, it takes him back knowing that grace takes him back to the law. And what we are missing is in the church today. And it'd be interesting to see it, how quickly this is picked up. Um, we're missing holiness. Mm -hmm. We're missing discipline for the purpose of godliness. You know, is will there be a swing back to spiritual disciplines books? Will there be a, a swing back to... I'd like to see a reprinting of J.I. Packer's um, Rediscovering Holiness. Because mm -hmm. um, we need that. Or, or Bridges. Pursuit of Holiness. That that is a book I cannot re recommend more heartily. That's a just read it every year. Pick yourself up a little copy, read it every year. Put it on your Kindle. <laughs> I remember our mentor in seminary, Sean. I don't remember, no, remember if you had already gone on to where you were you were working on that church plant in San Diego at this point. But I can remember sitting in the chapel at the seminary with our mentor, um, Dave Vivi, and talking about this, uh, talking about sanctification. And about how we desire, we yearn 
um, that the reason we would want to do God's commands and keep his law, to live holy lives, set apart lives, following him, uh, following what he set out in his word, is because we love him. We delight in him. Our emotions are oriented in that way. How, oh, how I love your law. But if we're lacking that, and this is, I think, maybe to your friend's point that you made a little bit earlier, if we're lacking that, does that mean that we don't obey because it's half-hearted? And if we don't have those feelings of love that we're, we're hypocrites if we obey in that way? And what our mentor's response was, which I thought was really good, is he says, duty is a, duty is a fallback. If you have to do it out of your duty, repent of your attitude and do it anyways. <laughs> you know, it's like the two sons, right? The parable of the two sons, right? The father yeah. says, go work in the vineyard. And one son says, sure, dad. And, and he doesn't do it. No. And the other one says, nah, and then goes and does it. And Jesus says, well, which one, which one honored the father? That's the one who did it, even though we might have had the bad attitude at the start. And we seem to have lost some of that. And we just do it because it's right to do, even if we're doing it inside grumpily. Or, and, and I'm. Repent, and then we repent of our grumpiness. But we're willing to submit. We're willing to bow before the king and say, You're wiser, even though I don't feel like it today. Yeah, Jack Miller used to say that it was. Um, uh, it's just do the right thing and let the attitude follow. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Which is so- interesting because a lot of the folks who would have troubles with that now are actually heirs of Miller, which is fascinating. Yeah, things things flip flip back and forth. I mean, mean, you and I have talked about this, I think, for the last two podcasts, that you've got that, you have that pendulum swing always back and forth. Um, Always the church is patting the deck in in the opposite direction. Um, But what I'm seeing more and more, and this gets into our, our seventh question, uh, which really flows out of this sanctification. We're not seeing holiness. And it's almost, maybe even some churches this has actually happened, to the point where being good is a sin. And this is our second, our seventh question. Is is being good a sin in your church? Are you, are you so gospel-centered that being good is a sin because we, like we don't... people that are serious about holiness, you look at as goody-two-shoes. Yeah, they're Pharisees. Right. Why are you so serious about not sinning? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's becoming if we're if we're able to use the cross as an excuse to not pray, mm-hmm. then can I just can I use my sin as exemplifying the fact that I'm cross centered? Hmm. Because and see, this is where again you you've we've got. I think this gospel-centered push is moving people in into the into the fringes rather than keeping them in this balanced biblical middle. Um, it's not. We have to be real careful that we're getting the whole counsel here. Mm-hmm. Um, like we just said, is is when we're when we're gospel-centered. You know, we love to to smack down the you know do a verbal smackdown on the on the Pharisees, uh, the moralists, uh, the religious, the the do gooders, as you said, um, right. and and yeah, if we if we try to say to somebody, you know, well, I was just trying to be good, you know, somebody might respond, oh, you're a Pharisee, you're one of those, woe to you, Pharisee. <laughs> 
Um, right, because you're serious about keeping God's commands or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You get this sometimes, you know, even in our circles, um, uh, about, uh, about Sunday. Um, I, the, not in this, not in this church, um, that I presently pastor, but in previous churches, we've had people that are a little stuffy. They'd like to Im- impose their rules upon you of how you spend Sunday. Um, but that swings so far where people are like, uh, I know we had this difficulty sometimes in San Diego. People are like, what do you mean I'm supposed to treat Sunday like it's a different kind of day? I go to church early. I go to an early service because, um, you know, I want to go do what I want to do the rest of the day. And it's kind of like, okay, even if you're not a strict Sabbatarian, do you think God was like foolish to say a day apart to rest and worship? You, you think that he was unwise to say you need this little creature? You know, and you get sort of this this lack of submission to God and his wisdom. Mm. Um, and, of course, all the sociological research out there and all the health research says, yeah, people are running themselves to death. Sabbath, that we need it. I, shoot, we, some of us think you're going to need it in heaven, too, because you're still a creature. Um, you know, and it's, it's ingrained in the fabric. And so you, you get this lack of submission to God that I'm the stupid one. You're the smart one. I'll submit to you. Of course, that's the problem, right? We don't like to submit to anyone, not in America, at least. Yeah, you make me think that gospel-centered in some circles is almost like the new easy believism. It's hmm, expand. It's, expand well, on that. It's the it's the new way that we can take Jesus without having to change. Hmm. Interesting. It, that's really really interesting. I had never thought about it that way, Sean. I mean, and that's and that's why being good would become a sin. You know, if if I if I actually go to church out of a, out of a right motivation, out of a love for God and a desire to praise Him and to honor Him, and because I know that He has designed me in this seven day cycle way, mm-hmm. um, and I get called a moralist for that, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's not not so good. Um I think I think we're going to actually let, let's close this one out because I think the remainder of the questions get into a new area and I think this is a we've sort of st- stuck to this area of holiness this this month. And I think that's an important area and um with the remainder of the questions, uh, the remaining one, two, three. I actually have a fourth. I don't know if I sent you the fourth, Matt. Um, uh, I can't remember. But let's get on to these next month. We're going to okay. talk about, again, we're going to get back into this issue next month of the whole counsel of God. But let's leave you thinking about this because I think this is important that you spend uh, – the benefit that you gain from this podcast is in thinking about your own relationship to God. It's not in going and attacking your pastor. It's not in going and, and attacking your congregation. The benefit that, that we seek in, in putting this podcast together is, is that each of us would grow as a believer and we would grow closer to God and, and that we would seek holiness not for holiness's end, but so that we might more fully reflect the image of the God image of God in, in whose image we were made. Mm-hmm. And in 
and the image of Jesus, the one who bore that cross, whose, uh, whose likeness we are being transformed into. And if there's one thing that could be said about Jesus, he was holy. Mm, he, was, he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. Mm-hmm. And is that a lesson for us of the power of the gospel that maybe being gospel centered means being holiness centered. Mm-hmm. Any, any, any closing thoughts you want to add to that, Matt? Well, I just think that it it we have to relate this better for people um, because I think that the that so there's two things that are the easiest to do here. The easiest thing, I think, by far. Um, is to be a moralist. The easiest thing is to give people the list of rules because we respond well to rules. And my one deacon here very wisely says, people like having a rabbi. Because if, you, if there is a list of rules and the rules you can keep, then you can feel good about yourself. And so it's very easy to give people a list of rules. Christianity America did it for the last 75 years, right? Mm. The other thing that's the easiest is to say, you know what? Yeah, 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 yeah. You break the rules. Yeah, yeah, you know what? But grace is bigger than that. And it's easy to simply um, proclaim free grace. But it's Martin Lloyd-Jones here, I think, that, that, that runs this line very, very well for us. He says that if, if in the ministry of your church, people aren't having the same reaction that people did in Paul's day when he wrote Romans... And get to Romans 6, and he says, well, should we go on sinning then? Because grace is so free. People should be asking that question because grace is proclaimed so freely in our churches. But what Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, and I don't have the direct quote. Maybe you can add it in when we post this on the website. But that what he goes on and he says, if we don't answer that objection, then we failed. And the, the failure would be that grace, when understood, pushes us to holiness. Because we have God again, and we love him. And we want to keep his commands. It's that simple. But we have to relate those for people. And it's easier to not relate them. It's easier just to give a list of rules or just say how wonderful grace is. Yeah, the, the list of rules, Christianity, is a misunderstanding of holiness. Mm-hmm. The grace is bigger is a misunderstanding of grace. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't take seriously the cross where Jesus had to die for our lack of holiness. Mm. Yep. Well, we leave you with these thoughts to ponder and we hope you've benefited from the podcast and I encourage you to keep listening and uh, comment on the blog. Let your friends know about us. um, OrdinaryMeans.com and until next month, may the Lord richly bless you as you pursue him through his ordinary means.